All right, good morning. Are you guys glad to be in the house of the Lord? Yeah, y'all, yeah, I, I could tell the way you were clapping. I did. And, and I'm, from here, you need to know this is a really good crowd. We were blessed with a good number, and especially with the you know, crazy weather. Um, but yeah, we were blessed with a great crowd in first service. We had like 34 guys in our fellowship hall here. And the ladies, I know, were full upstairs. That's our gathering times. And by the way, we're going to do that every third Sunday for the ladies and for the guys. And so we'll look forward to that next time on March the 21st. March the 24th. First. And like I said, then you guys just decided to come to church. And we're really glad that you are here be refreshed, be renewed, and be encouraged as we worship together in the house of the Lord. Well, we are in week number three of our sermon series entitled, I Love Lucy. I Love Lucy. And, you know, again, if, again, think back. And you don't have to, you don't have to be, like, old like me to, to get I Love Lucy because she's still syndicated on so many channels. But I Love Lucy was one of the number one comedies um, probably in the 50s and 60s, uh, maybe into the 70s. But, I mean, she would drive people nuts, though. She was, she was fun. She was full of energy. But she would drive you crazy. Um, I'm sure Ricky Ricardo probably ended up in the insane asylum. She would just drive you nuts, okay? So that was the idea because as we, as we go through life, we bump into things that drive us crazy, okay? So I thought that would be a, a great thing. Yeah, I haven't really called attention to this, but the small letters, if you can read them up here, says, my world, uh, a little bit of loud, yes, and a little bit of crazy, yes, and a whole lot of grace. Because if you're going to deal with crazy, then you have got to be a real big proponent, proponent of Grace, okay? So today I think, I think will be a great message for us um, because it's living with crazy. And like I say, we know things are crazy. Now sometimes crazy um, is a person, okay? Sometimes you married crazy. You are married to crazy right now. You've been married crazy a long time, all right? And then sometimes you gave birth to crazy. Can I have her name in there? Yo, why? Yo, by the way, I said something. There's a cute little boy right over here, you know. And I mean, he was cute. He had a little hat on, had his shoes on. He looked so cute. And I said to the folks, I said, makes me want to have babies again. I did not mean that. I am way too old for that. I am way, and I know Judy, just call us Abraham and Sarah. We're done. We're done. But anyway, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, sometimes we give birth um, to crazy. Um, but sometimes crazy is not a person Sometimes crazy is a culture. It's a culture. And, and you and I both know um, that right now are crazy times um, for our culture. Um, sometimes it's the culture at work. You know, you have a crazy boss or crazy co- co-workers. Sometimes, you know, you, you did business with crazy. You, you decided to go into business with a guy or a girl, a lady, and, and it was just crazy. But sometimes it's just culture. Culture is crazy. Um, we have seen this a lot. And I need just to warn you, give you warn you, you know, you're fixing to see crazy on steroids. Uh, the culture has been crazy. The culture is going to get crazier. And that's why this is so important for those of us who claim to be and are followers of Jesus Christ. How are we going to deal with crazy? How, listen, 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 listen. How are you going to deal with crazy in your marriage? Now, I know how the world says. The world says you trade him in and get another one. You trade her in and get another one. I'm not sure what culture says about the kids. I'm not sure about the kids. You really can't take those back to Walmart. You know, there's no return policy with them. But we do. But, but how are we, as Christ followers, supposed to respond to crazy? Especially when it's crazy and it's probably going to get crazier 
and crazier. Well, that's kind of the topic of the sermon today. We're going to learn how to live with crazy. Now, now the scripture is really cool. It's in 1 Samuel. Get your worship event out. If you've got your device powered up, go down there to the corner where it says more and hit events. Open up. All the scriptures will be there. We hope you got your word of God. You can look in your own Bible. And, of course, we'll have the scriptures on the screen today. Okay? So lots of ways that you can follow along and learn. Oh, and by the way, glad to have you guys on Facebook. Amen? And glad to have you guys also on the radio. Glad to have that also. So so here's the setup. I, need, I know you know this story pretty well, but let me take about two minutes and set this up. For you, okay? We're all familiar with a guy named David, okay? He was the second king of Israel. And his story is really unusual. When he was quite young, okay, um, you know, Saul was not doing a really good job of being a king. And so God decided it was time for another king to be anointed. And so he goes to the house of Jesse, okay, in Bethlehem. And, and there, and all the big boys passed, you know, all the, all the number one candidates passed before him. And, and, you know, none of them, no, 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 no. And so finally, you know, seven guys have passed, okay? And it comes time for number eight, and, and Samuel says, is this the only one you got? You know, is this all you got? He goes, actually, there's one more, and he's out keeping sheep. Well, bring him in, because we got to look at him. And sure enough, this young man, probably 14, 13, 12 Somewhere in there, you know, comes up and God says, this is the one, this is the one, anoint him. And so they anoint, you know, anoint David as the king. Now, it's really a good deal to get anointed as king, except for when there already is a king. You can imagine that's going to have some complications. Well, anyway, so, so Saul had already messed up so bad, God said, God already told him, you know, I'm looking for another candidate. You are out. It's just a matter of time, but you are out. And so Saul had this really bad spirit about him. Saul was a little crazy. Just like the one you're married to, or the one you gave birth to, or the one you work with, or maybe the culture that we live in. Saul was just a little crazy. It was so bad that finally they said to Saul, hey, why don't we find somebody to play a lyre for you, a guitar for you. Maybe some guitar music will calm you down. And so, so um, somebody said, well, you know, I know, I know a kid named David. Okay, he's playing a rock band. <laughs> yeah, Dave, never, never. Okay, we won't go there. Okay, but anyway, so, so yeah, I know a little guy named David, and he plays a great guitar. And so they bring David in, okay, and it works. You know, calm, you know, when, he, when Saul's all worked up a little bit crazy, you know, David strums his lyre, and guess what? Ta-da! Saul calms down, and it really works very, very well. And in fact, the Bible says at this point, Saul loved David. Saul loved having David around, okay? Well, then, then David um, decides to go visit his brothers on the front while Saul and the boys were fighting the Philistines. And uh, something amazing happened. Um, there's this nine-foot giant. Of course, you know the story. David walked up and says, I don't think so. You're offending God. I don't think so. Takes a stone and kills the giant. Yay. Guess what? I mean, wow, big deal, big victory. And everybody's clapping. <laughs> Woo! Go, David! Yeah, David! But guess what happened? All of a sudden, Saul quit clapping, and everybody kept clapping. And almost instantly, there was jealousy. There was jealousy. All of a sudden, when, when the women start singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David's killed his ten thousands. Jealousy. It welled up. And it wasn't long before Saul just hated David. Saul, this, this young man that he loved, he now hates. And to the point where he tried to kill David, and so David had to go on the run. So he goes on the run, and, you know, he was homeless. You know, you know he didn't have a, a stronghold or anything. And so some guys started following him, you know? And before long, he has this army, all right? And the word is out on the street, okay, number one, that, that Saul is insanely jealous, he's a little bit crazy, okay, about David, but also that, that David's been anointed to be the next king. 
So when you combine the jealousy with the fact that David's already been ordained to be the next king, Saul was determined to kill David. Determined to kill David. In fact, it became his obsession. In fact, if you read the book of 1 Samuel, all you hear about, you don't hear exploits of, of Saul being this great king. You don't hear exploits of, of him killing the Philistines off. All you hear is about kill David, kill David, kill David. He was just obsessed with it. Obsessed with it. So in chapter 23, right before we get to 24, um, you know, we're sitting there and, and we hear that Saul's chasing you know, David like crazy. Okay, and, and David's on this side of the mountain, and Saul's on this side of the mountain, so they can't see each other, and they're doing like this. They're tracking, and then Saul gets word. The Philistines, the Philistines are raiding the, the country, okay? So Saul had to break off the pursuit of David to go and fight the Philistines. And that's where chapter 24, verse 1, pops into play, okay? So, so we have David on the run. We have Saul just crazy with jealousy, um, for, and, and jealousy of David so wants to kill him. So let's look at verse number one. The Bible says there, after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, what I just described, okay, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. Verse two. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops um, from all of Israel and went to search for David again and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. Now, this is just full um, of meaning that we need to, to look at. Um, first off, notice that when Saul comes back from fighting the Philistines, the first thing that happens is someone whispers in the ear and says, oh, by the way, you need to know this. Here's some intel. Um, probably wanting to get on King Saul's good side. Hey, we know where David is. David is in the wilderness of En Gedi, okay? So as soon as Saul hears this, all right, then he wants to go chase him. Um, some more. And so the Bible says he gets up these 3,000 elite troops, and that was no small endeavor. That was huge, okay? He gathers up these 3,000 troops from all of Israel and goes and search for him. Now, something unique, you're going to hear this three times, three times, okay? But, but there's something. Why, why did the author include, oh, oh, yeah, by the rocks of the wild goats? I mean, why would you put that in the story? Let me tell you why. It validates the story. You know, so, so if you were to ask directions of a farmer around here, and, and if, if you're from around here, it would make sense. So I go and say, hey, where does Ben live? Oh, Ben lives past, go down two oak trees and turn right. If I'm from around here, I know exactly what you're talking about. I go, oh, yeah, okay, two trees, turn right. Okay? If I wasn't, it wouldn't make any sense at all. Okay? So the author puts this in here okay, to the people new. Oh, yeah, we know, we know exactly where the rocks of the wild goats are. Okay? But also validates the word of God. I mean, if you're going to make a story up, would you really put it in there by the rock, by the wild goats? No, you wouldn't put that in. It just proves, it proves that this is a real story and God's word is the real story. It's the real story, okay? So, so we see that, okay? And here's the deal. Saul is so obsessed with killing David, all he can think about is killing David, that he commits way too much energy, way too much time, and way too much resources to this. He commits way too much to it. See, see, Saul chose to fight the wrong, the wrong fight. Saul chose to fight the wrong fight. Now, what's important is that we don't make the same mistake. He was so obsessed, the economy tanked. Again, the Philistines were constantly doing raiding on the country. Other, the important things of being kingly were being neglected because all he could think about was killing David. So he chose to fight 
the wrong fight. We've got to be careful that we don't make the same mistake. Now, if you've got a crazy in your life, what are you going to do with that person? If you've got a child, what are you going to do with that child? How are you going to handle that child? And again, this culture, what are we going to do with this culture? Because it's going to get worse, okay? Um, you know, again, it's going to get more and more liberal. The decisions going to be made are going to drive us nuts. See, see you, can get, you can be driven crazy. You know, have you heard somebody say, somebody say, she's driving me crazy? This culture is going to drive Christians crazy. What are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? You know, we have to be careful because, you know, just like COVID is contagious, crazy is contagious. Crazy is contagious. And, and, and it can get sticky on you. Even if it doesn't change you internally, it can affect you how you act externally. So, so, so it's contagious, but it's also sticky. It can stick on us. And if we're not careful, we start acting like crazy people. You know, the very, the very thing we disdain in other people, we start doing Okay, so we've got to be very, very, very careful of that. So we've got to be careful that we fight the right fight. In other words, we have to know who the enemy is. Now, for the world, this doesn't work, okay? But for Christians, it's got to work. It's got to work. Powerful scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12 in the New Testament. You know, Paul writes and says this. You know, he says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Okay. Now, what we want to do is, um, because, it drives us, because it drives us crazy, okay, we want to put a name and a face to the enemy. We, we just need that. It's not, a, it's not enough for us to go, yeah, I know the devil's the enemy. We've got to have a face. We want to get angry at someone. So we have a tendency to direct our anger at people, at faces, at, 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 per, you know, at personalities. We, we want to aim there at that. Okay, but here's the deal. You know, he says our enemies. You know, if you're if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, you've got to understand that we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Okay, that's not who the enemy is. Well, who is then? It says, well, we're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. In other words, the enemy is not seen. Yeah, you know, I really believe this. I really believe this. If if we could see what God sees. If we could see what the angels see, it would be a wake-up call for us. There is a spiritual battle going a on. A literal, a literal spiritual battle going on. You remember when Frank uh, Prey wrote the book, This Present Darkness. He put into words that, that there, were, that there are demons and angels fighting. And, and there is a war between God and Satan going on. Okay? And, our, and our enemies are not flesh and blood. Our enemies are rulers and authorities of the unseen world. But, but again, we, we want to direct it. You know, I, at least once or twice a year, I reference Trenton. You know, years ago when he was a little kid, you know, his dad was in there talking to him one day. And you've heard the story dozens of times. You'll probably hear it a lot in the future. You know, but, but you know, Trenton's, you know, dad was reassuring, you know, Trenton that God is there. You know, you can't see him and touch him, that God is there. And Trenton said, you remember what he said? Dad, sometimes you need flesh and blood. Sometimes you just need flesh and blood. Well, in a negative sense, that's how we are. We want to attack the enemy. We're mad. We're angry at culture. So we've got to attack a person or a group of people. That's just natural instinct for us. Okay? But, but, but Paul reminds us and says, no, 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 wait. Your enemy is the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. In fact, he goes on, against mighty powers in this dark world. Mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So this is real warfare. And the ultimate enemy is Satan. See, now, 
granted the Philistines were not Assyria and they weren't Babylon, okay? But they were a threat. If nothing else, they could disrupt the nation of Israel, okay? So, so Satan would like nothing more than the Philistines to keep attacking, okay? Because, again, it disrupts the nation of Israel. You know, sometimes some of the junk, the junk that we deal with, it disrupts the church. Shoot, I might as well say it. What do you think this COVID mess has done to the church? You know, we have fought and fought and fought over this or that, this or that, this or that. Again, I said last week, I'll say it again this week. Nothing I've ever seen in the years, 39 years of pastorate, have I seen such mass division in churches over the COVID virus. What? So sometimes, sometimes Satan uses the Philistines to really stir the pot. Okay? But that's not what it's all about. See, this, this story really isn't about jealousy. You know, this story is not about, you know, Saul was worried that Jonathan wouldn't get to be king, someone wouldn't get to be king, and Saul was jealous because they liked him. It's bigger than that. Because it says, it says that, that, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, mighty powers of this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Well, Dwayne, what's it about then? It's all about the bloodline. See, if Saul can kill David, the bloodline's disrupted. The bloodline stops. And prophecy has said that the ruler, the Messiah, would come from the lineage of David. If, if somehow Satan can get David killed, then the lineage is blocked. It's bigger. See, see, guys, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. This is bigger than you know. This battle that you think is all about this and that, yin and yang, and political parties, it's so much bigger than that. There is a war going on. And it is spiritual warfare. And we've got to stay focused and, and we've got to have ourselves empowered by God to experience the victory that God wants. Amen? Amen? We've got to get a hold of this. Okay, now, number two. Number two is this. You know, we've got to understand that we do have limited time, limited energy, and limited resources. Now, do you understand what Saul did? There's an enemy right here called the Philistines. Constantly raiding and harassing. Okay? What does Saul do? He musters an army of 3,000 men not to fight the Philistines, but to fight and kill David. He, he spent 3,000 men trying to kill a man that wouldn't dare kill him. Is that not amazing? Now, here's what we've got to understand as a church. That we do, in fact have limited time. Limited time. The clock is ticking. Okay? And, and if we're not, listen, if we, if we don't fight crazy like God wants us to fight crazy, we can lose the country. Totally. Totally. The Christians, Judeo-Christian values could be totally blown away. So we have a limited time. We, we have limited energy. The, the, um, the ability of people. You know, we're going to be a smaller church. Going to I hope we don't stay smaller, but we're going to be a smaller church. That's why, by the way, in case you're wondering, that's why you're important. You know, pre-COVID, we were bumping 300 and 320. You know, right now, we thank God for every one of you that make up the 370 to 3, or excuse me, 170 to 180. Thank you for everyone. But that means every person is more important than ever before. Because we have limited, we have limited energy. And we have limited resources. We have limited resources. 
So we have, to, we have to make sure as a church that we are good stewards of our time, we're good stewards of our resources, and we're good stewards of our energy. We, listen, we ain't got time to waste. We haven't got energy to waste. We haven't got you know, resources to waste. We've got to be about the Father's business. We've got to be about the Father's business. We've got to be doing what God says do. I'm telling you, listen to me. We ain't, got, we ain't got time to be fighting one another. We ain't got time to be messing around with one another. We ain't got time to be divided amongst each other. These are dangerous and vital days. And if we, if we allow crazy to drive us crazy, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. So, so Saul, because it's crazy, wastes all these resources and takes 3,000 men just to get us back from fighting for the Hey, boys, I know we just got back to the camp. Come on, we got to go get David, a man who was not a threat. So they do that. So in verse number 3, the Bible says, and this is where it gets really interesting, okay? So at the place... Where the road passes, some sheep pens, some sheep folds. Now, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Again, why did they put that in there? It validates the word of God, our second validation. Our second validation. Everybody go, oh, yeah, I know. You know, yeah, yeah, you go past the rocks with the wild goats, and then you go on down, and you're going to come, and you're going to pass some sheep pens. I know exactly. You remember this is a story. I know exactly what you're talking about. It validates the word of God. Why did the author, why did the Holy Spirit lead the author to include that? Because it validates the word of God. So, so at the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave, get ready, to relieve himself. You guys almost think that's humorous. Two times in the Bible is going to the restroom mentioned. This is one in the other Elijah when he's mocking Baal. Maybe your God's off relieving himself. So we have Saul. Now, get the picture. So Saul's got this 3,000 men along. He's at the head of the procession on his mule. And here's 3,000 soldiers. And when the king's got to go, the king's got to go. Y'all know how it is. Come on, man. You know how it is. From, from the back seat comes, Daddy, I got a party. You can hold it. You can hold it. Then your sweet knife next door, wife next door says, Got a party, honey. Hold it. You can hold it. But when the driver's got to go, the driver's got to go. We, we, we find a rest stop. Amen? We, we find a gas station. We don't need gas, but we're going to stop for gas. See? And that's why it was Saul. You know, Saul's leading the 3,000 men. Got to go. So the whole, up, and they stop the whole caravan. Okay? So Saul looks for a place of privacy. Okay? So the Bible says, so Saul went into a cave, a particular cave, and he goes to relieve himself. Now, this is where it gets so interesting. And by the way, that's the third validation. Why in the world would you put that in the Word of God? It validates the story. It makes it real, and it validates that it's true. Okay? So, so Saul went to a cave to relieve himself. Now, watch, watch, watch. But as it happened to be, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Now, you're instantly thinking, providence, sovereignty. I mean, I would. I would. Of all the caves to choose... He just happens to take this cave. Now, here's what's cool. You've got the king who wants to kill David. He goes to the restaurant. I can just see him. He goes in, literally, takes off his outer garment, okay, hikes up his inner garment, and goes to the bathroom, okay? But I can imagine that this was, you know, know, at the entrance, you probably wouldn't face your back to the entrance. You'd put your face to the entrance. 
So he's sitting there. Unknown to him are David and a group of his guys. Okay? And they're back in the back. He has no idea what's going on. So if you're like me, you're thinking, wow, what a moment. What sovereignty of God. What are the chances that Saul would stop at that cave? And here's David, the guy who's anointed to be king. And here's the only guy standing in his way, Saul. Man, the stars have lined up. Get ready to meet your maker, Saul. It just seems logical. It seems that's exactly what God had in mind. But I want you to get this. I put, behold the sovereignty of God. Okay? But be alert for the true purpose of His sovereignty. See, I know what we do. We know, you know, something happens, oh, this is what God wants, and we go ahead and do it. But we really don't check out what God is doing. See, see, we would think, I would think, men, every man in the room would think this. Okay? God has set it up so David can kill Saul. It's logical. It's logical, okay? So we would think that. But what if God's sovereignty was not about removing Saul from the scene? What's about teaching David a lesson? Has it ever occurred to you that maybe, just maybe, that God has put a crazy person in your life to teach you something? Like patience? Like love? Like forgiveness? Has it occurred to you that the crazy culture is a great opportunity to be Jesus to a bunch of people who desperately need him? Amen. I'm just saying. You don't have to go to Africa for this one. You know, as our culture just goes further and further away from God, we are more and more on a mission field. And individually, and as a church. As a church. So, so you've got to find out and make sure you understand, okay, God, you're doing something, okay, but what are you doing, okay? You know, you, you've been wanting to date this girl, okay, and so lo and behold, you're both at the water fountain at the same time, and you assume you're supposed to marry her. Maybe, maybe not. You've got to determine because, you know, in this upside-down kingdom that God has, this upside-down kingdom, you know, what seems logical may not be. What, what seems logical may not be. And what seems obvious may not be obvious at all. So we've got, in dealing with crazy, in dealing with a crazy person, um, in, in dealing with a crazy culture, okay, with those two things, all right, what we've got to do is find out what God wants to do. Ooh, that was pretty good. Whew. What we've got to do is find out what God wants to do. See, not what you want to do. It's what God wants to do. Okay, so let's see, let's see. Okay, so they're back here in the back. Saul's at the mouth of the cage, just out of view, going to the restroom, okay? His coat is laying over here. He's going to the restroom, okay? Look at verse number 20, uh, 24, verse 4. The men say, his men, now's your opportunity. Hey, they whisper to David, 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 this is it. This is what we've been waiting on. We have been on the run for years. We have not been able to go to Walmart for years. We can't show our faces in town for years. We've been separated from our families for years. This is it. This is the opportunity you've been waiting for. Today, the Lord is telling you. Now notice what they speak. A group of men who are desperately wanting to be done with this, all of a sudden say, the Lord is telling you. The Lord is telling you, hmm, I will certainly 
put your enemy into your power, to do with as you wish. David, this is it. The stars have lined up. You want, you know, you're, we want to go home. Okay, let's just be honest. We want to go home. We've been running and running and running. We want to go home. You want to be king. In fact, you've been anointed king. In fact, God said you're going to be the king. And the only thing stopping you from being king is him. And him is right there. Kill him, become the king. No brainer. Have you had situations like that? You know, you're unhappy in your marriage, and so a sweet young thing shows up at the water cooler, been to the water cooler twice. And all of a sudden you start thinking, you know, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be happy. So it must be that God put this person at the water cooler. Even though I'm married, God put the person in the water cooler so I would be happy. Do you really believe that? No. Now, see, God is a lot more interested in your holiness than your happiness. That's a good lesson you can learn. Good lesson you can learn. So, so they're sitting there, and the Bible simply says in verse number four that, that David ponders this and says, you know what? This, this has got to be right. It makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. I'm, I know I'm supposed to be king. There he is. It's no, it's no accident. It's no accident that he's there, okay? And so he creeps forward. He creeps Now, here's what you need to take home. Number one, even those closest to you, um, the most well-intentioned voice, the the ones closest to you and the most well-intentioned voice can misrepresent God's will for you. I I don't remember who, and I I just know it was this church. Someone was unhappy in the marriage, and somebody at church said, you just ought to divorce him. Someone at church. See, the most, the one closest to you, just because they're the closest don't mean they're going to give you the best advice. Okay? And, and even if they're well-intentioned, you, you deserve better than this. Okay? Doesn't mean they're speaking for God. And they can and will misrepresent God's will for you. So the guys have spoken and said, this is obvious it. So David buys into that. Okay? But we've got to be discerners. Look at 1 John 4, 1. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. Do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. So in this time of crazy, someone might speak to you, well, well, we ought to do this, or we ought to do that. And, And we assume, you know, we respect them perhaps or whatever. All of a sudden we're assuming that they speak right. They may not. They may not. So when we're dealing with crazy, we've got to make sure we're hearing from God. We've got to make sure we're hearing from God. Well, let's go a little bit further in verse number four. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Now, now did you get this? David, this is it. Da-da-da-da, you're supposed to do this. And David creeps forward. His intention is to kill Saul. When he left, when he left the boys back here, okay, it just seemed logical and seemed right. So he gets his dagger out and he's slowly approaching Saul. And somewhere in those 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 feet, in that moment, he has clarity. He has clarity. He says, wait a minute. What am I doing? What am I doing? I'm about to murder, murder, this is a war. 
Well, I'm about to murder the sitting king of Israel. I'm about to kill a man. And he was able, what's amazing, he was able, and listen, this is hard, this is hard, this is hard, this is hard. He was able to stop in midstream and change horses. He left the group thinking, yes, it's the right thing to do to kill Saul. And somehow before he gets there, he decides, wait a minute, this is wrong. There's a niche in his spirit, there's a red flag. There's something that said, this don't feel right. This just doesn't feel Right, there's no one to do. And see, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, he's thinking, wait a minute, this isn't this, this isn't this. First, he said, this isn't me. Yeah, I could have killed Saul a long time ago, I had multiple opportunities. He was a better warrior than Saul ever dreamed to be. That's why Saul was so afraid of him. I mean, this is the guy that, as a kid, took out the giant. So he had opportunities. Wait a minute. And you know, I think the clarity was. He asked a vital question. He said this, what story am I writing here? Do I really want in 15 years to be known as the guy who murdered the king? He said, hey, Paul, Paul. Paul, Paul, tell us again how you became king. Tell us how you were in the cave and he was going to the bathroom and you snuck up behind him and killed him. That was so brave. That was so good. That's not a story he wants to write. That's not a story he wants told about him. So the question becomes, what story do you want told about you? When you're dealing with crazy, whether it be a person or a culture, what story do you want told? You know, Andy Stanley, you know, the only quote in the whole sermon, can you believe that? Comes from Andy Stanley. And it says this, you've got to pay attention to the tension. If you're, if you're about to do something and there's an angst in your spirit, pay attention to that. And he also said, if something bothers you, let it bother you. Hit pause. Stop, stop for just a moment, okay? And find out what this angst is in your spirit. Pay attention to the tension. And in this case, it helped David. He was on his way to kill Saul. He had this angst in his spirit. Something just didn't seem right. And then whether, rather than cut David's or Saul's throat, he cuts a piece of cloth off and then backs away. That's bad. And even that, to show you the, the depth of this man, you know, verse number five, but then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He was so sensitive to his conscience, that he actually said, wait a minute, I shouldn't even have done that. I shouldn't even have done that. You know, I wrote down and said, you know, our conscience is the inner voice that warns us that God may be nudging us. Our conscience might be that thing that God uses to nudge us. See, did you know you all hear voices? You know, you, you hear your voice. When you're making decisions, you hear your voice. And by the way, the best salesman in the world is you. You can convince your thing. You can convince yourself to do anything. And your heads, your voice in your head is just telling you there's 50 reasons why you should do this. You know, and, and then there's the voices of your friends. We hear those voices. You know, you're thinking about it. You're going, well, so-and-so said and so-and-so said. There's also Satan's voice. There's Satan's voice. He's whispering in your ear. You deserve better. 
You deserve a break today. And then there's God's voice. And God's voice often is the softest whisper. But listen. Listen to the still, small voice of God. So David did. So he gets back to the men. He comes back to his group of guys, okay? And they can see their Saul. And all David has in his hand is a rag. He's cloth. And they're going, David, dude, what's up? I thought you were going to kill the guy who's trying to kill you. Remember, you're supposed to be king. Take out the king. Become the king. It was a no-brainer, David. How did you mess this up? Okay, well, he says this. He said to his men in verse number 6, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord. In other words, I had this angst in my spirit. He goes, why should I do this to my Lord the King? I shouldn't, I shouldn't attack the anointed one, the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. Did you get that? I should not attack the anointed one because God himself chose him. In other words, he's the king because God said he was supposed to be king. Amen. He's the king. Because God made him king. So David, now what's this? It appears in verse 7. If you look at this, okay, I can just see it happening. So David's men said, okay, okay, God hadn't spoke to us. We'll take care of it for you. Now, why do you say that? Because the Bible says in verse 7, the first part, so David restrained his men. They were saying, let's just do this. And David restrained his men and said, no. He did not let them kill Saul. See, as a leader, he did that. As a leader, he made the right call. He said, listen, it's not right for me, and it's not right for the ones associated with me, my men. It's not right. right. So our teaching point, in a moment of clarity, David knew it wasn't his place to take out the one that God had put in place. Think about that one. In a moment of clarity, David said, wait a minute, it's not my place to take out the one that God put into place. I'm telling you, I really do believe in the sovereignty of God. And I have to admit, I hate what's going on in America right now. But I also know that God in his sovereignty is playing his cards. Amen. And I can't see his hand, but I trust his hand. Amen. I can't see his hand, but I trust his hand. Well, Saul leaves the cave and goes on his way. And, and then David comes out in verse number 8. And David comes out and shouts, shouts, and says... My Lord, the king. Now, imagine this. You know, David, or Saul comes out of the cave where he's gone to the restroom. And all of a sudden, out of that same very cave, David steps. You know, Saul almost down to his mule. And, and he hollers out, you know, my Lord, the king. And when David looked around, David had bowed low. So, so get this, okay? First off, when he hollers, my Lord, the king, 3,000 eyes look up. And buddy, you talk about a moment of clarity. David had his clarity in the, in the cave. Those 3,000 soldiers had a moment of clarity. Because here's the guy they've been trying to kill that had the opportunity to kill the king and did not, and now he's bowing down to this man who's trying to kill him. That moment, it was very clear who the better man was. As David stood there empty-handed, there could have been a head. Hey, look, guys. Saul's head. I'm king. We don't know the outcome. It may have been civil war. We don't know. 
Okay? But it would seem like be a lot less bloodshed than a civil war. Hey, guys, look. I've killed the king. You know, he, he could have done that. But the people had the moment of clarity when they saw the better man. See, David became the hero of his own story, not by his military proudness, but by his humility. And the church, the church is going to be the hero of God's story, not by our military proudness, but by our humility. Amen, amen. By, by our humility. They'll know you're my followers, my disciples, by your love. So Jeremy said in our men's thing. Well, Come on down and let's just get down to verse number 12. It's about time Ezra refused to say preach it. Yeah, yeah. Cot says no, but we'll go. Okay, so in verse 12, so, so he says this to Saul. He said, may the Lord judge between us. That is so powerful. He said, you know, when history is written, we're going to let the Lord write the story. May the Lord judge between you and us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you've done. But I know this, I'm not going to. He said, Saul, I'm not going to play God in your life. In fact, Saul, I'm not going to play God in my life. I'm going to let God be God. I'm going to let God be God. So, So whether it's an individual whether it's a person, um, whether it's the one you're married to or the one you gave birth to, or maybe it's this crazy mess that we call culture. You know, Here's what Romans says. It's really good. You've heard this before. You know, Romans 12, 19, for instance, says this. Paul writing, dear friends, never take revenge. Never take Don't you hate it when Paul makes sense? One thing I like about Paul is like half of Romans, I don't understand. I mean, it's great because I'm not understanding it. But then every once in a while, Paul just says something out in broad daylight. Like, never take revenge. He says, leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. I will take revenge. I will pay them back. And then in verse 17, he says this, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. And then he says in verse number 20, he says, If your enemy's hungry, you feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. And by doing that, you heap coals of fire on their head. Romans 12 is very powerful. It's very powerful. So whether, seriously, whether it is the one you're married to, what do you do with it? With a husband or wife that just drives you crazy. You know, what do you do with a boss that drives you crazy? You know, what do you do with a culture, a government that drives you crazy? Well, I would suggest, well, there's three things. They didn't get this in first service either. Number one is you pray. Amen. Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. There's not a written rule, but as much as we talk out to other people, we need to be talking to God on our knees. Amen. We need to. We need to pray. And, and we need to read the... Un- 
We need to read the uncrazy book. See, everything's crazy. I, uh, I was watching the news yesterday. I only watch the morning news, generally speaking. But they do a Hollywood segment, and they said how that there's a new movie out called Cowboys. Now, I think Cowboys, I think John Wayne and Glenn Ford, you know, Cary Grant, you know. But this movie was about a young girl, nine, ten years old, who decided she was a boy. And her mama wouldn't let her be a boy. And so her father kidnaps her and lets her be a boy. And they travel through the wilderness till they get to Canada where she could be a boy. What? Excuse me? Is that where we are? And the answer is yes. We live in an upside down world where wrong is right and right is wrong. Now again, you can get all holier now and puffy with them. Or you can love them and pray for them. You know, God, will, God can bring revival Amen. to our country. Amen. But it's going to be more on the wings of love and on the wings of prayer and His Word. Amen. And His Word. So if you're here today, and maybe you're here and you're listening on Facebook and you're going, you know, I've been wondering about this crazy stuff. I'm, I'm not a Christian. I'm not even trying to believe in God. But I'm, I'm just feeling this is pretty crazy. Well, I know someone who can straighten it out for you. And his name is Jesus Christ. It never grows tired. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front. We call this our decision time. And maybe you're listening here in the room and you just like say, I want to know more about this Jesus. Some of this made sense to me. Some of you totally confused me anyway. But some of it made sense. And we'd like to share with you about Jesus. A lot of us here today are Jesus followers. And some were doing okay. Some were not. Crazy is about to drive me crazy. Crazy is about to drive me crazy. On my knees, in the Word, loving people. On my knees, in the Word, loving people. That's what God wants us to do. Let's pray. Okay, Father, thank you very much for helping me today preach this. And I pray it made a lot of sense. I pray it will help us dealing with crazy. God, the battle is just getting hot. And the battle is not with people. It is with the enemy. It is for the dark forces, uh, demons. I want to pray, Father, that you'll help your people to be your people. Help us to pray. Help us to read the word. And help us to love those around us who are so hard to love. And Father, if it's personal today, if it's a husband or wife or a child or a co-worker or a boss, Father, help us. Please help us to be what you'd have us to be. All things are possible, you told a virgin girl. All things are possible because of you. Help us to believe that. And Jesus, I pray it in your precious name.